Welcome to A Higher Education, a podcast production of the Association for Christians in Student Development. ACSD is committed to assisting student affairs professionals to stay current and relevant in the quickly changing climate of higher education, and in particular, Christian higher education. Join us as we share the perspectives and stories of student development professionals who sit at the intersection of Christian faith and higher education. Hey, good afternoon. Good morning, everyone. Whatever time of day it is that you're choosing to listen to this, we're excited for tonight's episode. I am Mark Muha, and I'm joined with my co-host. Hey, everybody. It's Kara. And today we have a special guest that we're really excited to have join us on the podcast. Uh, And I want to hand it over to her to introduce herself, share her name, her role, and what institution she's working with. Hi, everyone. My name is Lisa Igram, and I'm currently serving as the Interim Vice President for Student Development alongside my role of Dean of Student Wellness at Biola University in La Mirada, California. And Lisa, we are excited to have you here because I think you represent so many of the uh, listeners in terms of what they also have experienced in their career in student development, where oftentimes we have to take off our usual hat and put on a temporary hat for a season, whether that's for a meeting, a committee, or sometimes for yourself, uh, like a season, like it sounds like a a full year at this point. Is that Mm -hmm. accurate? Yeah, it's been a full year. That is a very accurate statement. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, we're, we're really excited to learn more about that. So I think maybe the first question we want to start with is just tell us a little bit about your biogra- biographical career, kind of what led to this role. And then we want to jump in with our speed round questions. Okay. Yeah, I'm so happy to share. I, um, you know, I had a, a fantastic college experience. I went to school at um, Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania, grew up here in um, California, um, so I'm I'm back living near where my family um, is and where I grew up. And I didn't set out to be to have a career in student affairs. I knew that when I was in in school, I loved teaching. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll get a master's in teaching English to speakers of other languages. I, I had loved traveling. Um, I found a program where I could teach English overseas um, and get my master's degree at APU. Um, loved that, did it for two years, came back home and then needed a job. And so found one at another uh, small school here in Southern California called Hope International University, working um, in their international student program office. I started as an associate director and then moved into the director position and then realized, um, you know, I, I still love teaching. <laughs> so, but it's, um, I, I didn't like teaching language as much because you have to repeat yourself so often. And I like talking about big ideas with students. Um So I ended up going to seminary at uh, Talbot School of Theology, which is at Biola, and um, found a job working first in the career center as an office manager, and then um, was hired into the campus pastor's office as an associate dean of spiritual development is the name of the department there, and then was asked to start this area of student wellness a few years ago right book just in time for COVID. <laughs> and then um, when our, uh, probably the best person I've ever worked for, Dr. Andre Stevens was tapped to become president up at Fresno Pacific University. I was asked to take on this interim vice president role until the university decided what to do next with our area and with this position. Um, so it has felt like a long and winding journey of saying yes to the next thing that the Lord offered even as in my heart of hearts, I would love to also be in the classroom. So I'm also currently trying to finish up a PhD in New Testament studies at the University of Aberdeen, uh, which is in Scotland. And it's been a delight 
I have a whole draft done. I'm very excited about that. Now I just that's have a, to review it. That's a great moment. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Is it is it true when you finish a PhD program in Scotland, you get a sword? Oh, I don't know if I'm going to get a sword. I, I really <laughs> like their outfits, but if I could have a sword too, that'd be pretty great. I thought I saw that on Twitter or something. I think you're right. <laughs> Regardless, Lisa, I think you need, no matter what, we're going to get you a sword. That sounds great. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah and, and I'm really fascinated, you know, by the title Dean of Student Wellness. Can yeah. you share for just a moment kind of what was the impetus for starting that type of a, a realm? I think so many of us like to think that that's what we ultimately care about. To see it actually quantified in a role in a department is really cool. Yeah, it is, it is really cool. In fact, I think there may be, this might be outdated now, but I think there may just be three deans of student wellness at faith-based institutions. Um, wow. And I've met them both, one up at EPU, um, as you specific, and then one out at Wheaton. And they're both fantastic people. Um, so when Andre Stevens became the vice president of our area um, and was just asking deep dive questions of everyone who worked in student development, he realized one of the major concerns we all had was a significant rise in student well-being needs. Students were coming in with what seemed like increased needs, and we were watching our numbers skyrocket in all of our service offices between the health center, the learning center, which is our disability student services, um, our student care and conduct area, of course, our counseling center. And it was, it's one of those things where you, so kind of the, the, the line is nationwide. You can't, we can't buy our way out of this problem. Like we can't staff our way out of this problem. So it seems like the way forward, it seemed like the way forward was to create an area that could think about preventative, proactive strategies to support student well-being, to help limit um, and actually save kind of the, the high risk or that the, like high resource um, services for high risk students. Maybe all of our students don't need to get to that high risk place. Maybe there are things they can do and we can help them do to um, manage their, their well-being. Um, so he restructured our area and put together the health center, our student health center, our student care and conduct area, and our disability student services area, and then asked me to lead it and with those teams come together and collaborate on ways to, to see what we could do to help support student needs. That's been a journey. Again, I'm, I'm like New Testament studies, seminary trained, all of this is new for me, but I do love researching and studying. So that's been a fun, a fun thing for me. Learning is energizing. Um, so it's all been new for me and we've been able to do a few things that I think have been helpful, um, and set up a few structures, um, and make a few small changes, but there's a lot more to do, I think. Um, and of course we face the reality that we only have so many resources, so yeah. we have to be strategic with what we have. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Thanks for sharing about that. Mm -hmm. I love that focus on, you know, holistic wellness. That sounds like a really cool initiative. It's been really fun. It's that's been really sweet. Fun. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's start with our speed round. Uh, since so okay. many interviews save their speed round questions for the end, uh, because they run out of time, we decided we're going to flip this, uh, and we're going to start and that'll help us loosen up and just want you to kind of not overthink this, just kind of go okay. with your gut for each of these questions. Sound good? Okay. Yep. And Kara, I think, uh, we're going to just kind of trade back and forth. So the first question I have for you, Lisa, is are you an introvert or an extrovert? I'm one of the biggest introverts you'll ever meet. What is your favorite part of the country to visit? Oh my goodness, Big Sur, coast of California, most beautiful place in California. No hesitation on that. She knew immediately. That's good. Yep. <laughs> uh, you already mentioned this, but where did you do your undergrad studies? Rose City College in Western Pennsylvania. Great. They just got a Chick fil A on campus. I, read. I, I saw like, that. I saw that. No. I yeah. Know. Okay. Some people have it all. 
they do. <laughs> Uh, what is the academic degree you are most proud of or identify with the most? Probably the the Talbot degree. So Master of Divinity in Spiritual Formation and Soul Care. And that's what prompted my PhD work as well. Okay. That's great. I'm going to jump past the next the next couple because, Lisa, you are such an all-star. You've already answered some of these. They're about <laughs> like your first role in student development, uh, your best boss. Like, Did you get her notes ahead of time on these? <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, so we're not going to ask who the best boss you've ever had is because you've already shared about Dr. Andre Stevens, but we want to know who's the best coworker you've ever had. And oh. all of your colleagues who are listening to this now. Oh, I like, know. That's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I like them all. They're, that's Ruby, my dog. I got her during the pandemic. Um, I like them all for different reasons. Okay. So can I name like three just so people sure. don't feel bad? Okay. So I really love working with Dr. Michael Ahn, who's our assistant dean of spiritual development. He's incredibly creative and strategic and has a habit of like at the end of meetings, he will take every idea that we've had and all the conversation and wrap it up in this nice little package. And it's filled with insight. I also love working with Deanne Decker, who is our um, assistant dean of student care and wellness programs. She's a rock star. I cannot believe all that she manages and carries um, related to the significant needs of our students. Um, some of the funniest people I work with are Chad Miller, who also works in spiritual development, and Chris Bergen, who is one of our case managers for student care. I mean, I could keep going. I'm not going to say favorite. I can't do it. That's great. No, uh, we, we want to see if we can get some controversy going. That's why we okay. have this one in there. I see. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I think you started it. So hopefully Perfect. that's Perfect. <laughs> So regardless of where you live right now, what is your city, like the place that you have the most identity or pride or association? Probably the city I grew up in, which is Orange, California. And it's partly because I worked in, so in, in Southern California, we don't have many cute downtown areas like you would in a lot of Midwestern towns, but it has a cute downtown area. And when I was 16, my first job was to work in an antique store in, in the downtown area. And so... And antiquing is big in my family, especially with my grandma. Lots of memories there. So probably Orange, California. That's great. What is your favorite annual holiday? Oh, I mean, the day after Thanksgiving until Christmas. <laughs> Just, I love the whole Christmas season. That's great. I love Advent. Um, yeah, a beautiful season. Good choice. Our uh, last speed round question. What feelings do you have about being on a podcast? Uh, I was actually just texting some friends that it's one of those moments of what is my life? Why am I? I mean, I never thought of being. I never anticipated being in anything close to a VP role, much less being interviewed on a podcast about that. So. <laughs> Uh, I think it. all yep. of us who work in student development can resonate with saying, what is my life at least once? Yeah. Yes. Um, and on that note, I have shared with Kara already before we began tonight, but I'm dealing with something on our campus right now with a student issue. So I may pop out here for a little bit, but we want the interview to just keep going no matter what. So let me lead off with the first question uh, so that we can get started with kind of our more in-depth questions for you. So our first question for you is, regardless of what first drew you to the field of student development, what's one of your first memories of a time in a student development role where you really felt like your deep gladness met the world's deep hunger, to kind of borrow from Frederick Beekner with that question? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like this question a lot. I And I was glad to get some of these in advance to reflect on it. It's been a good process for me. Um, 
When I was working at Hope, um, I think at that point I was the director of the program and I worked with, um, you know, undergraduate students who were transitioning um, into U.S. culture. And the majority of our undergrads there were student athletes. And our soccer team especially was so globally represented. I think every student was from a different country. Mm. And with that comes, with their transition to the United States and with the geopolitical realities of their countries and the differences that they brought, but also it's a, it's a faith-based campus. And so while they, uh, you know, demonstrated and talked about faith, it was very different from an American evangel, like the language is different from American evangelicalism and the focus of, um, say Orthodox faith or Catholic faith is, was very different. And so there was, there was that season, there were a lot of clashes on a variety of levels. And I remember them feeling, I remember my feeling of them was just a lot of sadness and, um, confusion and wanting them to feel welcome and successful. I think there were some things happening in the U.S. related to um, uh, Black and African-American men being targeted or, or you know, um, like not treated well by the police. And so some of our African students, some of our Black students were ended up getting caught up in that. And it's like, this is not their country. Um, so anyway, my uh, I had a part-time administrative assistant at the time, and we one day they were playing soccer at a state school across the street. And so we gathered up in a big red wagon, the flags for each of the countries that were represented. And we took them over and I thought, I don't even know. Like We're just trying to help them feel like they're supported in some way. And so we just set them up against the fence and they happened to win the game. And one of them came over and then they all followed, grabbed their flag and were racing around the field with so much exuberant joy. And it felt like a moment of the spirit working for like deep encouragement and unity and joy at being in this place when it had been such a struggle for so many of them. And it was a gift to be able to think, oh my goodness, just that little prompting of taking flags over there meant so much. Um, felt like a little bit, but it was a lot for them. Hmm. That's an incredible story. I love that. I, like, yeah, I absolutely love just the way especially those minor touches for us can go so far and so meaningfully mm -hmm. for creating a space of belonging for a student. Yeah. Yeah. It was a striking time. Yeah. All right. Our next one is, can you recall one of the more significant challenges you faced in your career and what helped you persevere through it? And what did you take away from it? Yeah. I have two answers to this. Um, what you've had more than one challenge. Yeah. <laughs> I only Today? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the worst moments in my professional career are when I have to make very difficult personnel decisions. Um, and especially when I have to communicate those. Um, and so I, they're just, it's just awful. I actually watching Andre have to make those same decisions. Again, the best boss I ever worked for um, and how he dignified people in the process and stayed connected with them. If, if that's what they wanted, um, was a huge model for me. So learning to, to dignify even in the face of having to make hard institutional decisions. But I think alongside that too was honestly all of COVID in Southern California. We were, and in LA County, we, I was working remote from this very space for a year and a half. And that was awful. Um, so pivoting, there was some opportunity for a lot of creativity and pivoting to provide uh, moments of belonging and connections for students online. Um, 
but nobody knew what we were doing. We were building the plane as we flew it. Um, and I realized during that time as an introvert, how very important it was for me to stay connected relationally with people. I didn't realize how much just walking out of my office or cubicle and seeing someone is like emotionally regulating for me. And so not having that when hard things would happen um, was really challenging. And uh, it was a year and a half of not knowing, not knowing when we'd go back, having deadlines for going back that were always blown past and um, doing the best we could to care for students without really having eyes on them or being in, in the presence of was really difficult. Oh, that's so real. We've done a handful of these interviews already and COVID has come up, you know, for each one. I think all of us have learned a lot from that season in good moments and in really difficult ones. Yeah. I recall telling Kara and the rest of my team during COVID, you know, 10 years from now, we'll look back and probably like look at all these things that we learned or that that caused us to grow during the season. But I I would never wish it on anyone again. No. yeah. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but L.A. County was bar none the absolutely most restrictive county in the entire nation for for length of stay at home orders, for severity of stay at home orders. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That that was our understanding. If it's different, I'd, I'd love to hear. Even when we, we were able to go back on campus in fall of 2021 and we had to be masked even in the dorms until you got to your dorm room. And so the RAs became police more than community builders um it was oh it was terrible terrible and we got more probably this might be a trend for for everyone but we got more phone calls from angry parents on every side of understanding and belief and ideology (laughs) every listener is nodding along right now yeah (laughs) so the twitch that i thought had left that's coming back yeah Yeah, Karen and i lived through that as well uh you know and we there was just no making anyone really happy. And yeah. so it was just trying to find what would annoy everyone the least, the least. simultaneously. <laughs> yeah. 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 What a season. My goodness. Uh, so as you as you think about student development, you know, as someone who maybe stumbled into the career uh, mm-hmm. and find yourself just continuing to wake up, go, well, what am I doing here? What the, It's such a unique season to be in student development. And I'd love to hear from you. How have you seen the field change over the course of your career? You know, however lengthy that might be, uh, what have yeah. you seen shift or change or adapt? Yeah, I, I mean, I wonder if every generation says this, but it feels more complex than it used to be. Um, for a variety of reasons. Some of it is the mental and emotional well-being of our students, which I've already touched on. Um, But really, so I started, you know, I graduated college in 2002. And in 2007, the iPhone came out, but it was, so Jean, I think her name is Jean Twinge. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. Uh, She wrote iGen. iGen, yeah. Yeah. Um, Pinpoints the iPhone being carried by three carriers in 2011 to the beginning of the rise in in the mental and emotional well-being needs of students. And so we've been in the midst of that, right? If if you've been in student affairs, you've been right in that flow. Um, And that that impacts students on so many ways from, you know, comparison to body image um, to even video gaming and what that does in terms of social emotional development. Um, Not that any of those things are bad. It's just impact of maybe overuse or Mm -hmm. um, not knowing how to steward um, the goodness of those things. So that I think is significant. Um, 
I also, I think because social media now allows us to know so much more of what's happening in real time, you know, we knew about Turkey and Syria as it was unfolding. The last three weeks are good examples of this. Monterey Park is just about 40 minutes from us. um, So that shooting impacted our community um, in in indirect ways, indirect ways. Mm -hmm. And um, then thinking about the release of the Tyree Nichols video. And then the week after that was Turkey, Syria. So we know about all these things in real time trauma that I don't know that we're meant to metabolize easily. And we Mm -hmm. probably shouldn't as image bearers. Um, And then how students respond to those things. And the, so the ideological divides, those things represent political divides um, and the ways we as a culture are unable to talk civilly about things and that our students are unable to, and how could they, if they don't have a model of that, but that's what they desperately want. So big questions, I think, mm-hmm. around social justice, around human sexuality. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't remember when I was in college thinking about the idea of deconstruction and deconstructing mm-hmm. our faith for those of us who are in faith-based schools and these big social questions that prompt doubt and, and um, faith questions and deconstruction, however that's defined for the student. So lots of complexity, I think. Um, but I've also seen student affairs and student development be responsive um, to increased educational access in K through 12. And so we're receiving more students who maybe in the past wouldn't have been able to take advantage of a college education um, or knew knew to have one. So like first-gen students, veteran students, um, students who might be on the spectrum or with a variety of uh, abilities that um, we can accommodate and bring onto our residential campuses or as commuters. So I'm, it's fun, I think, that we get to help provide that access and provide um, supports to the strengths and the gifts that students from a variety of backgrounds bring. Um, so... I think we as student affairs have become responsive and um, can kind of lead the way in that for the rest of our campuses as well. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I like that kind of um, you talked about some things that have been challenging and been growing in their challenges over the last couple of years. And also some of the really beautiful things that have happened in the last few years on campuses that weren't happening before. That's, that's cool to hear about. Um, so then kind of moving to like a future orientation, asking a similar question about change. How do you see the world of student development changing in the future? And what do you think we as student de- development professionals can do to be prepared for that reality? Yeah, that's a good question, too. I think I mean, I think um, COVID taught us a lot because it taught us that we can do education remotely. And so in some ways, our questions are maybe similar to church questions of what does it look like to do whole person learning and transformation and to engage um, embodied learning um, in hybrid or even fully remote settings. I think those are questions we can press into. Um, I think on our campus, we're actually experiencing more care needs at the graduate level. Um, and so we're finding that our student development is has been over the last few years expanding into grad care um, and even programming. Um, so I, maybe that's just new for us. I'm not sure. Um, and then I think um, I think we will continue to have conversations about inclusive education in terms of the variety of skills and abilities that our students bring. 
um, the variety of learning styles, um, ways that we can elevate strengths that maybe haven't been traditionally valued in academic settings, um, and value intelligences that maybe we haven't traditionally valued. So I think that's something that we in student affairs can pay attention to as well. Oh, that's so good. Would you say those are things that you're able to focus on in your unique role that blends a lot of these aspects of wellness? That's a good question. I, before COVID had thought about, you know, my, my supervisor, my dissertation supervisor has done a lot of work on autism in the church. And so we had been talking about him coming out to do some training for our team and discussions campus-wide, but COVID. <laughs> so, but COVID. Uh, but COVID. It's going to be the name of my book, but COVID. Yeah. <laughs> So I think I think there's opportunity there that we just haven't tapped. I have learned a lot um, in working with our disabilities. We call it the Learning Center, our Disability Student Services Area, and the incredible experience that that team has, and the love, the love for, and the like. They see the image of God. They see the Imago Dei in our in every student that walks in the door. Um, so I've learned a great deal from from them, and also from my supervisor. Um, but I haven't. I, there's nothing like practical that I've implemented, but I think there's opportunity there. Yeah, it's interesting. It makes me wonder how many times in academic settings, even in student affairs, where we are the co-curricular, not necessarily all about grades and transcripts and whatnot, do we do we make the mistake of looking at students for the value of what they produce or yes. the level that they achieve or aspire to, as opposed yes. to inherent value the moment yes. they walk on our campus just because of who they are? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah. So I'd love to dig into a little bit about your interim role. Uh, okay. You know, yeah. I, I think to follow up to Kara's last question, you know, about how you've been able to navigate your unique role as the, uh, is it Dean of Student Wellness? Is that right? Yep. Yeah. And yet in the midst of the season, you're also the interim VP for your department. <laughs> so how do you wear those hats? Yeah. How, how do you switch back and forth? How do you do it without feeling like one area is getting less than what you'd wish to give into it? You know, I know this wasn't on the list of questions and hopefully it's not inducing some sort of existential crisis for you, but I'd love to hear, you know, especially I've served in interim roles before, both real and de facto. Uh, I know all of us in, in student affairs are used to that kind of dynamic where we often get asked to wear multiple hats. And oh, so yeah. for our listeners who are out there who might be faced with a similar situation or have an opportunity, how have you managed that? What are some of the things you've learned through it? Yeah, roundabout answer to your question. My very first job in the States um, working with international students I was running the English language program, doing all of the visa I-20 paperwork mm -hmm. and running orientation and doing co-curricular programs for undergrad and grad. So I, I early on learned, oh, <laughs> steep learning curve. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I, my bottom line answer to how do you do both jobs right now, my response is I had to learn within a month that I had to let go of my ideals of what I wanted what I would like to see both roles do. Yeah. I have had to give up any strategic movement forward and only respond to things. Um, I tried pretty hard in the summer. It was unclear how long the interim role would last. It's certainly been longer than anyone anticipated. Um, and so over the summer, I did try to offload certain responsibilities, but our campus, um, probably like many campuses, has been in such turnover um, of staffing. 20% of our teams were new or new to them roles by July 1. And I took I took on the interim in, on June 4th. So I'm like 
offering to pay people to pick up certain responsibilities. And they're like, Lisa, I just can't, I can't do it. So, all right, well, then I have to give up my idealism about what needs to happen. So each day I'm responding. And what I find is that uh, when it comes, what goes first is anything related to preventative, proactive movement forward in the well-being side, which is really sad. Yeah. However, we have strong teams who have already implemented great strategies and those get to continue. And in my VP side of things, I can continue to talk about the well-being needs of our students to cabinet members. So cabinet is our president's leadership group that, um, you know, Andre is a fantastic leader, but also wasn't in the data um, or in in that world every day the way that I am. So I right now I'm supervising like nine people. Um, and so I'm, I'm very aware of the things that are happening on a day to day basis with student care. Um, and then on the VP side, it's been a huge learning curve. Um, so that's why it's taken up so much of my time. Um, I think at that level, there isn't like you can't say I don't have time. You just have to figure out how to do it. That's just what you do. So uh, I also decided that um, I wanted to keep certain rhythms like Sabbath and prioritize finishing my PhD work, which also meant saying no to really good things in my professional life so that I could say yes to other important things for sustainability. So that's it. Yeah. I was curious how you've handled self-care through that season, because I know in the seasons when I've worn multiple hats, that's often one of the first things to go when you have loyalty and love for your organization and your students and a desire to serve well and you have a high degree of competence which I think Mm -hmm. you know it seems like that's how you've approached this role uh and so I'm curious how you've navigated self-care yeah that's a good question and I think for me a silver lining of COVID has been to set up good rhythms and boundaries of self-care I know so much more of what I need than I did before So I work really hard to keep Sunday as free as possible from work. And if I realize Sunday, that's not going to happen on a Sunday, then I try to have that on a Saturday. Um, I got a dog during the pandemic. And so she, I live in a second floor condo. She has to, she's a very high energy. She has to go on walks, which means I get to go outside and be in the sunshine, Southern California. There's a great little undeveloped park down the street from me, huge lawn for her to run on and for me to walk around and I can see the mountains in the distance. So there's like prayer and calm in the mornings for me and laughter because she's a really funny dog. Um, and hikes on the weekends again, because she needs to get out and then that gets me out. Um, and then I have some good friends that either, either go on walks with each week, or we just make it a point to see each other at least a couple times a month, um, to connect. So those have been really important for me. Also, to get through my PhD, I started taking writing retreats early on. So I would set aside three to four days on the calendar twice a semester. And because I'm an introvert, and so then, and I would travel somewhere, I would go somewhere um, because I'm an introvert and focusing on one thing, it was like the most energizing thing I could do. I I resonate with that. And Kara's (laughs) probably taking notes right now because she just started her doctorate. Yes. What are you doing? I'm taking all the advice. I'm doing an EDD. Uh, in higher education leadership. Fantastic. Where are you doing that program? At Bethel in Minnesota. Yeah, that's great. That's been, it's been good so far. I'm like four weeks in. Fantastic. Is it, um, is it like a cohort model distance? It's somewhat cohort model. Uh, it's mostly asynchronous. 
Um, yeah. I'll do some summer residencies, but yeah, it's been good. I highly recommend writing retreats. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll have to put some on my calendar. That sounds like a brilliant idea. I also, yeah. I loved what you had to say about like this, these morning walks that you take and seeing mountains because I just moved out to Oregon after working in the Midwest for four years and Oh, my mental health has never been better than this year. And I think so much of it is attributed to just being able to see mountains every day. Oh my gosh. And I mean, the Pacific Northwest is beautiful. It's gorgeous. So shameless Listen, plug to everybody to come work out at the schools on the West Coast. Yes. Listen, I'm over here in Chicago and I just want to, <laughs> I want you all to know that sometimes the clouds of smog over the city look like mountains. So it kind of is similar. You tell yourself the story you need to tell yourself. <laughs> That's great. The other day, Mark posted something on his Instagram story that was like, hey, I recommend going outside. And it was just, oh, it was a picture of these dead trees. Kara, <laughs> Kara I need I just... you to know how much of my mental and emotional health I was hanging on that one Instagram story. I and am tread happy very for lightly you. right now. That's tread why I didn't lightly. slide up and make a comment until now. <laughs> Uh, no, it's true. I, I also, so this fall, I did the first vacation of sorts that I've done in the month of September in years. And I had to finagle that very, it, it took a lot of work because yeah. I had to make sure that my campus was covered, um, that I had all of the right ducks in the row before I could leave. But it was one of the most healthy things I could do. I went to Northern Minnesota to one of my favorite places in the world and just yeah. spent five days in a canoe by myself. And it was incredible. Um, so I think if there's one thing that I'm hearing from you, it's that through this process, finding your rhythms yeah. and learning, learning where to place value uh, mm -hmm. is so important, both in the things that are good for you for self-care, but also to learn to say my idealism maybe needs to sit on a shelf for a little bit uh, mm -hmm. and that it's not going to be perfect for everything I do, yep. um, which can be challenging for those of us who like to have a high degree of competence. Absolutely. I, on the strengths finder, I have responsibility as my top strength. Empathy is two. And then Enneagram, if we can talk Enneagram, I'm a one with a nine wing. So I really want to make things better. Yeah. It's been hard to let go of things that I know could be better, but not right now. Yeah, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> That's great. Mm -hmm. All right, our next question then is what advice would current you give to the version of yourself who is just starting out in their career? Yeah, I I mean, my career makes sense when I look back on it, but it really has been full of twists and turns. And so I think I would say, keep going the direction you want to go. I've been wanting to be in the classroom mm. since I graduated college. Um, so keep heading that direction. And also, don't be afraid to receive what is offered along the way. So take the positions that are offered, learn from them, receive, serve, grow, live into them um, and see what the Lord will do because he, in surprising ways, serves his purposes mm. through the gifts he's given me and the skills that he's developed through those experiences. Um, I think another thing I would say is I can now look at myself and my leadership style and say I'm a collaborative person bridge builder. I lead from the center. Um, empathy and responsibility are strengths um, that can help lead well and bring out the best in others. But as a young professional, that's not the kind of leadership I ever saw modeled or talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
I would say those are, I would tell myself, those are strengths, lean into them and let Christ grow in you in those things. Um, um, and watch, watch how he will lead in and through you, um, in those gifts he's given. Yeah. As you, as you think about student development professionals being busy people who have Mm -hmm. so much on their plates, I'm curious if you would suggest any resources that a student development professional should be engaging in, whether that's podcasts or books or lectures, papers, you know, fill in the blank. It's maybe something completely uh, unexpected that I haven't mentioned, but resources that would help us as student development professionals continue to be those lifelong learners that you mentioned being. If you have access to therapy, I highly recommend it. <laughs> um, there's also a... Um, a practice called spiritual direction, which I think mm-hmm. has been increasing in popularity, um, which is a time where you get to sit with someone once a month who co-discerns the work of the Lord. And I say those things because I think, oh, and so then I would add to that too. Um, I think it's Pete Scazzaro who has resources around emotionally healthy leadership, emotionally healthy spirituality. Ruth Haley Barton would be another one. Um, and I say all of that because as student development professionals, there is so much that we need to give to. There is so much um, of our work that is done in relationship. And so to know and understand ourselves before God, our own pitfalls and sin habits and character needs and character strengths so that we can better interact with um, our colleagues and truly love them and see our students for who they are and what they need, not what we might project on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that then we ourselves can make healthy decisions around the rhythms that we need to live um, to not enter burnout. I think this is one of the high burnout careers because it never ends. Um, and so again, that emotionally healthy, emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy leadership, um, I think can help guard against burnout. It can keep our relationships strong, which is an antidote to burnout. Um so those are, I think, I think it's Ruth Haley Barton that said, um, the best thing you can bring to your leadership is a growing self mm. um, in, with God in the Lord. And I, I find that to be really true. So aside from those like kind of personal developmental things that I think are critical to our personal formation and spiritual formation, I like just following inside higher ed to see what the trends are and to see what the kind of the big topics of discussion are. It helps us feel not so alone. Anytime you get an opportunity to go to like ACSD or to CCCU conferences or even just local regional gatherings, super helpful to know you're not alone in what you're doing. So staying kind of on top of also, so inside higher ed um, and then balancing that with like the CCCU publications that come out or ACSD resources that come out, I think can be really helpful to keep things grounded in, in our faith. Mm. Yeah. Ruth Haley Barton's invitation to solitude and silence okay. has been one of the best things I've read from my own leadership. And, you know, that Instagram post that Kara was uh, making fun of just a moment ago, that <laughs> that happened, I think it was two days ago, I or yesterday, I had an hour and a half free in my day where I had nothing scheduled. Now I could have filled it, but what I chose to do was walk to a local nature preserve about a mile from campus. Mm-hmm. And I sat in the woods in silence for an hour and I, when I tell you that I'm still like today going off of that, what what the Lord yes. brought in that moment, mm-hmm. um, it, it's such a sincere 
opportunity for us to recognize that we are not our work. So I wonder if you have a message or a thought for any of our listeners who have experienced burnout, because I think as we're watching student development work, um, it's it's a challenging landscape right now. American evangelicalism is divisive, and there's a lot going on there. Um, and we see the job postings on the ACSD and CCCCU job boards. We want to see people thrive in this career. And I'm curious, how, what, what sort of encouragement would you have for someone who's really in that season of feeling like, is this worth it? Is, is this something that I'm able to persevere through? Totally. I think that I, I, gosh, so many things are coming to mind. So this, a lot of this will be very contextual. Um, the, the, I want to say this first, just because it's top of mind and I didn't plan on it, but I think we can have a temptation to put more hope in our institutions mm. than our institutions are designed to carry, particularly when it comes to how our institutions and how our universities, our schools will respond to social events or um, ought to care for our students or uh, decisions that are being made that we disagree with. Um, and so when when our hope is in the institution, particularly if you work at a faith-based school who is so intent on the mission of transforming students in mind and character, and you, you know that you know how that ought to be done, and they're not headed in a direction that you think they ought to go for that mission, it can be really... Um, can cause a lot of questions and be, be very disappointing and disorienting. So remember that an institution is made up of imperfect people that are doing the best they can and that the institution is not the hope of our students' future. It is a place where our students get to stop and connect with people who love the Lord um, and be relationally poured into and grow and develop, but the institution is not our savior. So I want to say that first. And that's so hard. I think COVID taught me that too. Like that's just such a hard thing to learn when we care about our work. The other thing I want to say for burnout is an antidote that research shows, not the only, is connection and relationship with other people. So even as an introvert, I so often just want to come home and not talk to anybody for hours at a time, which is good for me sometimes, but it's also good to stay connected to people and to process, find the safe people the safe people who will also not um, treat you with kid gloves. So who will push back when needed um, to process and talk with and um, who, who are in the work too, I think stay relationally connected to the people who are in the work alongside you with students in the challenges and in the hopes. Hmm. Yeah, That's so good. Also, I don't want to add more to your plate, but can you do an ACSD workshop on the not putting your hope in your institution? Because I need to hear (laughs) an hour more of that content. I think we could all probably just, it could be one of those like circle style processing times. Oh, yeah. (laughs) How we've done that, how we need to not. (laughs) I think they call that therapy, right? (laughs) Yes, we could do group pseudo not call it therapy. There we go. Well, and in oh, a small yeah, way, good. that's what we're hoping this podcast is, is, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, people who do the work being an encouragement to others and exactly why we wanted to feature you on on our podcast, just mm-hmm. to hear the wisdom that you so clearly have to share with our listeners. Thank you. So then kind of a fun, reflective question. What's a moment from your career 
where you got to see the Lord work in a special way that you know you'll you'll never forget. Um, okay, so Viola University on in the spectrum of faith-based institutions is on the conservative side. Our Talbot School of Theology is complementarian. Maybe should I should probably define that. So um read scripture saying that men are um, designed to lead in certain ways. Maybe it's in the home or the family, and there's a wide range of what that means, even at Talbot. Um, Biola itself does not hold a position. But how that can play out, because there's such a wide range, sometimes in our university, there can be a lack of imagination for the gifts and skills that women bring hmm. to the workplace or to leadership and what that could look like. So a few years ago, a colleague and I were looking at some results from a survey that, you know, one of those national surveys that we offer on our campus. Um, and it reflected something called the confidence gap, which is a nationwide trend as well, that women tend to assess their abilities and skills as lower than they actually are. And we found that trend to be true on our campus. And we found it to especially be true because while women were ranking themselves lower on these particular items, their GPAs were actually higher than the men at these different um, markers. Um, so it's called the confidence gap. So we decided to try to do something about it. We didn't have any money or budget for this, but we were told that we should try to do something about it. So we spent about a year, um, Jenny and I, Jenny Mathis, she was the assistant director of commuter life at the time. And um, we spent about a year brainstorming and thinking, and then Jenny left. And I was like, I can't carry this on by myself, especially because I have no money for it um, or like time actually in my job description. But then um, a recent alum who was also a friend came to my office one day and sat down and said, Lisa, we have to do this. I will do everything it takes to make something like this grow and develop. So we found a couple of students who were all excited about the idea. Um, and so we created this resource called GRIT, all caps. It stands for Gifting, Resilience, Insight, and Tenacity. And the goal of it is to encourage women on our campus to step into all of the calls and gifts mm. that God has for them. It started out as a blog and mostly through Instagram presence, so pretty strong social media. Um, and this year they've turned it more into a podcast. But we launched it probably five years ago. And it, so the moment that I'm thinking of that I just saw the Lord work was our launch party. We mm -hmm. held it in this little place called the Collegium for our commuter students. It's one of the most beautiful rooms on campus. And um, there were like 200 people who showed up to this launch party, which for us was huge. Um, and it was incredible to see women and men excited about this thing and feel, I could feel like it was meeting this yeah. deep need um, that so many of our students had to be affirmed for who they were and to be encouraged mm -hmm. to step in again to the gifts and calls that God had for them. So that is a moment that I won't ever forget. We had blueberry donuts because that was the thing at the time and LaCroix. That was also the thing at the time. Um, and it was just incredible to see the conversations that happened and the people who came. Mm, that's incredible. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up, uh, we've so enjoyed our conversation with you. I, I feel like I'm only wrapping up because my timer is telling me it's time to wrap up, but I feel like the three of us could just keep talking for a long time. Um, so round two will probably have to happen at some point. Okay. But <laughs> Lisa, is there... you guys some questions too. <laughs> yeah, we'd love that. Um, is there anything, you know, you just mentioned grit. Would love to hear if there's uh, anything that our listeners can connect with from, from that to also be encouraged. If I know that's primarily probably a Biola thing, but you mentioned a podcast, potentially there's that or anything else that we can help 
you feature that maybe you're working on or that you're really passionate about that our listeners would be able to benefit from as well? Yeah, that yeah, if you if you're interested in checking out what they're doing, it's I mean, the students are running it. It's grit grit at Biola, I think, on Instagram. And the podcast is it's on Spotify. Um but there so ACSD, this is actually an ACSD plug too. Um Perry Glanzer out of I think Baylor mm-hmm. is editing a book called Stewarding Our Bodies, a vision for Christian student affairs. And the it's going to come out during ACSD in June. So I have a chapter in there on sleep, um, but really the whole project was conceived out of realizing that our work as student affairs professionals in some ways could be so much easier if we had a really solid practical theology of the body that valued our bodies. And so it's a edited volume, lots of experts speaking on everything from exercise to nutrition to sexuality. Again, minds on sleep. I recommend that. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Not that I need another book to add to my Amazon wish list, but that one is absolutely going on there. I think I think they might be giving it away for free at the conference, but don't quote me on that. All right, <laughs> you heard it here, everyone. If you go to the conference, you're going to get this book for you free. Might you, I don't know? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> but, just. I'm not sure. But hopefully, Lisa will be there and can autograph your copy for you. Right. <laughs> That'll be it first. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Lisa, thank you again for joining us and thank you for the good work that you're doing, especially in an interim season. Um, I know without knowing your team, I know your team is so grateful for the work that you're doing um, because it is so challenging and so sometimes confusing when you don't have that steady leadership uh, for the permanent uh, position. And so thank you for the work that you're doing. It means a lot. And thank you. Yeah. And thank you for joining us. We really had fun. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. It was a delight to talk with you both. You bet. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you guys for listening. We'll be back in a month with another episode. Have a great day. This podcast has been a production of the Association for Christians in Student Development. To learn more about ACSD, please visit acsd.org. To contact us, please email scholarship at acsd.org. Thank you.